Hello, Regeneration. It, is, uh, it has been really nice to see some of your faces on the uh, Tuesday evening prayer nights and the Thursday evening worship nights. Uh, nice to see you. Um, also, just some updates for you when you guys do get to come back to the church and sanctuary. Be sure to thank Billy. He has started a project of restaining all of our pews. And if this goes a little bit further, you know all the woodwork that we have in our building. He's going to start staining that stuff too. So it's going to be a new-looking facility, and uh, you can thank Billy for that. We are going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And so today, as we look at these verses, which are in essence a review of verses 4 through 7 that we looked at last week, but in summary, we can just say that when we profess to be a believer, John writes that the evidence of that belief can be found in how we live. So today we'll continue to look at John's evidence, uh, John's case against sin, a sin that is so serious it separates us from God. We read that sin is lawlessness from verse 4, and that sin is the reason Jesus came. He came to take away sins. And that he's the only one to take away sins because he's the only one whom there was no sin in him, in verse 5. When we abide in Christ, we, are no, we no longer keep on sinning, verse 6. And we are to live these holy lives and we are to practice righteousness, verse 7. These evidences of our belief will be looked at again this morning in verses 8 and 9. And when we get to verse 10, the evidences make evident whether we are truly children of God or our children of the devil. So let's jump in here in verse 8, which is a, quite an intense statement from John. It reads, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So John gives us a picture of what the devil is like here, and not just here in 1 John chapter 3, but also in the Gospel of John. Uh, we can turn to chapter 8 there, and we'll start in chapter 8, verse 31 of the Gospel of John for just some background before John gives us this greater understanding about the devil in 1 John chapter 3. So John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, they didn't see themselves as enslaved people here. So then Jesus is pointing this part out here. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And so this is these guys giving Jesus a little bit of a jab here, saying like, we don't even know who your real dad is. 
But then Jesus kind of gives them a counterpunch here. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And here John recorded what Jesus said about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. John learned from Jesus firsthand who the devil is. So when he's writing 1 John, he's already written the gospel, he's writing 1 John, he's writing to this world that is just kind of full of division and full of hypocrisy, full of non-belief and chaos and dissent, much kind of like our world today. And then he, we find these words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. And he has a, a really, really deep insight behind these words that he's writing because he is one of Jesus' disciples. You see, we reveal who we really are by how we live our life. The Bible tells us that our very nature is sinful. And John already told us what sin is, right? First John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is lawlessness. John now moves to the beginning of sin, and he points to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. First John chapter 3, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So how we live our life proves to whom we belong. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, a habitual sin, like a practice of sin, is of the devil. So the question for us today is, to whom do you belong? And it's a really, really important question for us to address. This sin can be traced to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. Now we know that the devil is not an eternal being. He is not like God in authority, in power, in love, presence, knowledge. And we find evidence of this as we read the book of Job that the devil still has to be in submission to God. And this is really important to keep in mind to remind us that God is the one who is all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, all-loving, and is in complete control. That even though the devil has waged war against humanity, he will not be victorious against God or the children of God. The devil, according to John chapter 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We read that the devil seeks to kill And he will spew all sorts of lies into the minds and the hearts of people. John chapter 13, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He wants to kill God so that he can be in the place of God. And he seeks to kill God's children through any means possible, including 
putting his own thoughts in our minds and entering people himself. Take a look at John chapter 13, verse 27. Then after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. But the devil is limited. He has limited power in this world, yet he can do a lot of damage. First John chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He's limited, but yet he's still very powerful. And so you can see why our world is so messed up. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, if we are to fight on behalf of the world against that which is of spirit, does it surprise anyone why the evil remains in the world when we try to address the battle physically? It has to be fought in the spiritual realm when it's a spiritual battle, not the physical one. And so we fight the physical ones with physical action. And so we do provide food for the hungry and medicine to the sick and clothes to the naked, shelter for the homeless. But the physical solutions don't solve spiritual problems. We know how to combat injustices in earthly places, but it's not that easy There is something really sinister that is happening in the heavenly places as well. So how do we combat injustices in the heavenly places? It'll never work with physical interventions, which I think so many people are trying to do and they're failing at because only spiritual solutions can combat those spiritual evils. And this is where the church sometimes gets it right and sometimes gets it wrong. When we as the church, we're lured into a spiritual fight with physical solutions. And when we do that, we lose every time. We won't get the outcome that we want. We need to fight the spiritual fight in a spiritual battle. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking we're doing things for the kingdom while the devil is just kind of laughing at our efforts putting our physical efforts towards a spiritual battle. It'll just never work. We need to fight battles in appropriate ways. We serve the needs of our homeless community physically. We continue to feed our homeless brothers and sisters. We're currently still providing breakfast every Sunday morning, and we've actually upped our provision of food to homeless encampments throughout the week because so many organizations have stopped this service to the homeless during this entire shelter in place. And so we are out there. We're fighting physical hunger, sickness, the lack of shelter with physical means. But we also have to fight a spiritual fight where we're fighting spiritual hunger, spiritual sickness, that lack of security and safety with spiritual means. Billy and his team are doing a great job of of this. And stay tuned because we're going to have a video to share with you in about three weeks about the, the outreach that we're still doing with the homeless. And as Stephanie mentioned earlier, uh, next week we're, we're going to share a short video about our partnership with Kylie Co. Foundation to provide transitional housing to men who have graduated their respective programs. And it's, it's a fight against recidivism, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's a tendency for people who are out to reoffend after they're released from a program. And so this is a way to help fight against that. And it's also to help 
from people to relapse back to their former addictions. And so there is a physical intervention on our part and Kylie Coe's part where people are provided subsidized room and board. They're offered job training, resume writing workshops, interview workshops, financial support for their work clothes and interview clothes and equipment, a workout room, a computer lab. There are all these things, things we are to do as loving sisters and brothers in Christ. But there are a lot of people and organizations that offer the same thing. And maybe even better. But the enemy is exactly the same in that he wants these guys dead. The devil wants those men dead. Not just physically, but spiritually. And so you see, this is where the church and Kylie Co. is so invaluable. Because that's where we enter, not just physically, but also spiritually. We intercede in prayer. We equip those men to study the word of God, teach them how to pray, to practice spiritual disciplines and and draw them closer to Jesus. We, We point them to Jesus Christ who came to this earth to die for our sins. We're excited to share with you what God is doing through Kylie Co. and this partnership and we're gonna share that video with you next week. This is what the leadership of our church is to do to fight the spiritual fight. We are fighting the physical injustices and evils. And of course, we can always do better and we can always do more. But we can't forget that there is also a spiritual fight. And this is what we need to do as leaders of the church. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. Having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And here's the reason why. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We fight in the natural world against natural evils, but we have to fight in the supernatural world against supernatural evils, and we have to do both as the church. Oftentimes, people and organizations, they choose one over the other. But we need to address both as appropriate. Now, some of you may be wondering, since the devil can enter our thoughts and enter our being, can, can he do that to me? Can the devil enter me? It depends. You have to ask yourself, are you a born-again Christian? Because if you are not, then yes, the devil can enter. But if you are, if you are a born-again Christian, he cannot. Take a look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. In Jesus Christ, the devil can't touch you. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Let's go back to that verse again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now let's take a closer look at that second sentence of that verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
Now, if you just go around asking people, what's the whole reason that Jesus came? And you're going to get a whole slew of answers and reasons as to why people believe Jesus came to the, the earth. But you have to look back to the scriptures and see if those reasons are indeed biblical reasons. The word of God tells us why Jesus came. And we can look back to verse 5 of 1 John chapter 3. He appeared in order to take away sins. And then in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And there you have the reasons. The devil has been defeated by Jesus Christ. Yes, he can still wreak havoc in this world, but he knows that he's ultimately done. You do know that Satan is not an atheist, don't you? He believes in God. He knows God. He's not agnostic. He, he knows a lot about God and a lot about the Bible, more so than any of us. He knows that Jesus' death and resurrection, he knows what that meant for him, and he knows what Jesus' return means for him. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who f through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The story of the gospel has to include the death of Christ. It has to. And last week I brought up how people are perfectly comfortable talking about the life of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is a really good man and he was a really good man. He taught really great things. And his example, I mean, what an example of, of a person. And, and what he taught isn't going to be argued by all that many people. The vast majority of people I've spoken to about Jesus think that he's a really, really good guy. His life, his example, what he stood for is really easy to talk about. It actually gets uncomfortable when you start talking about his death and what his death means. The devil doesn't have the power of life. He has the power of death. And Jesus defeated Satan through his own death. Jesus broke the power of death and Jesus broke the grip that the fear of death has on people. Now, people think we're crazy to believe this. You know, people really don't think you're crazy if you admire Jesus. If you think Jesus lived a good life, and if you want to live like Jesus, people will actually applaud you. They like Jesus. Where they think you are crazy and nuts is when you think that Jesus Christ died for your sins, took them away, overcame the power of death, through his resurrection, and then they think you're crazy there. Prior to that point, they think you're great. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not all that much has changed from what Paul dealt with 2,000 years ago. Same arguments from people. 
you know, the same ones of I have to see God to believe in. I have to see that he's there. I have to see I need a sign. Or that through man's wisdom, which today people kind of flippantly throw this word out, science. They just kind of throw out science out there, which really isn't science, but it's just a a trump card that's just kind of thrown out there into a debate when there's no natural explanation for what is supernatural. And so the ruler of this world, the devil, knows where and how to attack us. He knows how to strategically disarm us from fighting what is spiritual by having just this really myopic, fixated view on the natural. To fool us into fighting with weapons that are ineffective in the battle that he's fighting in. To distract us from the gospel message and to throw us off course with a different message. A message that casts doubt on who we are as children of God. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 4-6. through 6. Little children... You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We have the truth of God. Jesus appeared to take away sins. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, those who profess to be children of God can't make a practice of sinning. We can't keep on sinning. We can't continue befriending the devil. The child of God is to live a holy life, a set-apart life from sin, that it's not this common living like everyone else lives. The child of God must be able to discern what is sin and how deadly that sin is. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. It's not because we try harder or that we go to church more or that there's some sort of physical, natural effort there. It's a work of God. It is a supernatural work. The radically transformed individual who once lived a life of sin no longer makes a practice of sin because God's nature now lives in that individual. God's seed is implanted in a person and it breaks that practice of sinning. God places in us the desire to seek after him and to have victory over sin. The child of God needs to be regenerated by God so so that when they hear the word of God, they pray, they worship, they confess. It does something to them when sin is present in their life while they're doing those things. They, They can't have it remain there. They have to repent. They have to go to God with it for this transformation from God to take place. We need to continue crying out to God to change us. And not rely on ourselves for change. Your self-reliance will cause you to guilt yourself to death trying to change yourself. 
God, through his divine power, can transform you into his image. And we will fail continuing to pursue holiness if we keep doing it through our flesh. Something to ask yourself. How much time do you invest in doing something physical for those you love? So, you know, providing meals or providing transportation, the conversations of listening and talking and giving advice and all those things that are kind of more physical in nature, those, those natural needs towards someone you love. Now, ask yourself, how much time do you invest into that supernatural spiritual need of that someone you love? With praying, with providing spiritual food and teaching how to pray and teaching through the scriptures and sitting with God together and sharing what God is doing in your lives and just more of the, the supernatural space. There are things that only God can do, like transform someone's life. And we need to do what we are called to do as children of God. We are to be faithful to the word of God and, and compassionate in our care, gracious in our kindness, generous in our mercy, sincere in our love, present in our concern, remembering to gather in fellowship, to love as Jesus would love others, and trusting God to be in control of everything that is happening. Sinners are who we naturally are, and the terrible byproducts of this nature is sin. It wasn't until God's seed abided in us that we are transformed and set free from having no choice but to be sinful. But now with God's seed abiding in us, we can't keep on sinning because we have been born of God. Now it doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again and that you are perfect. But what it does mean is that you're going to sin less that you're closer to perfect that you get convicted of your sin and you repent of it soon after that who you were known to be changes more into becoming more into the image of Jesus that old person that you were before with those sinful habits now has these holy habits these sinful characteristics are now righteous characteristics, not out of your own flesh, but because God's nature, it resides in you. And yes, we still sin, we fall, but we don't make a practice of sinning. Making a practice of sin without conviction, without repentance, without God's work of cleansing and forgiveness, it's just this outward fleshly work of ourselves regardless of one's fruitless confession proving that we aren't Christians after all. And there are a ton of people who profess to be Christians who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They, they confess the right things, and some even have a, a right behavior and action, and they're living right outwardly, but they're not right with God because the Spirit of God hasn't regenerated who they really are. So there may be the appearance of a Christian but it lacks substance and it lacks reality of a truly transformed person. So are you really a Christian? And how do we even know? 
Take a look at verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The Bible really isn't all that complicated. It tells us we are children of God or we are children of the devil. People complicate things. And people want to throw in all different other options, that there is a, a third choice, a fourth choice, a fifth option to different things. But so often the Bible makes things really, really simple, that it's of God or it's of Satan, that it's life or death, light or darkness, narrow or broad, free or slave, sheep or goats, alive or dead, hot or cold, heaven or hell. So many times, only two. And here's something that may disturb you. We're not all God's children. We are all God's creation. But we are not all God's children. So either you are a child of God or you are a child of the devil. By nature, we are all children of the devil, and it's not unless we accept the invitation of the gospel graciously gifted to us in Jesus Christ do we, be, do we become children of God. We've ran out of time, but we'll talk more about this next week, and we'll talk more about love next week. Um, just a quick intro that this is a, talking about a faithful love, a loyal love, and God does things we, we cannot do on our own, such as regeneration of who we are. And then he gives us the dignity to do some things on, on our end, such as accepting and believing who he says he is. Now, there may be some of you who are listening right now who are struggling with your faith. And you may be wondering why you are the way that you are. Maybe there is this continual practice of sin. Maybe God's calling you to repentance this morning. To cry out to him to become a child of God. Maybe you thought you were this whole time and yet your life does not show that. The evidence is not there for that. You continue to practice in sin. And maybe through 1 John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you to pull you out of your sin so that you can make a practice of righteousness and not a practice of sin. To receive all God has to offer you as a child of God, that you stop playing games and doing things out of your flesh, even if those things are good things, like clicking onto this service and watching this. And maybe it is a divine appointment that we are talking or that you're listening and for those of you who are just kind of predisposed to guilty consciences like I am, and you're questioning whether you are really a Christian when you really are, I want to just encourage you to reread these verses that we looked at in 1 John chapter 3 and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Sin in a Christian's life doesn't cancel your relationship with God. It ruins it, but it doesn't eliminate it. And it's the same as any other loving relationships that you have. You know, for those of you who have kids, our kids can do some things that can really damage our relationship with them, but we don't disown them. 
And, and all can be made good again if what happens? They apologize. Right? And so we're still parent and they're still child. No matter what, we still have that relationship. But when things are seriously wrong because of disobedience, we can't enjoy the relationship as it is until there is a restoration, a reconciliation. Let me end with just reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Holy, righteous God. We are sinful. Holy Spirit, please convict us to where we need to repair the relationship with God. Please point out where we're being separated. I ask for you to reveal those things to us so that we may draw closer to you. Jesus, you came to take away our sins and to defeat the devil. For that we are forever grateful. We thank you for that work that you did to reconcile us to yourself. We pray that we would sin less, that we would stop making a practice of sin, that you would convict us and that we would quickly run to you and repent, that we would live lives of righteousness, that we would be giving evidences to the world as to whom, to whom we belong, as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to... Grab your communion elements so that we can take communion with each other. And in 1 John, knowing the purpose, the reason Jesus came to take away our sins, pointing so clearly to the cross. And as we take this bread to symbolically reflect upon Christ and his body broken for us, knowing that he had been on the cross with his body beaten, pierced, bruised for us. As we think and reflect just on what Christ did for us, take a moment just to reflect upon that before we take of the bread together.
Let's eat together. And the fruit of the vine, as the blood of Christ was spilled for us, overcoming death, victorious over death in his resurrection. And we take these elements, this sacrament, as a remembrance of what he did, as well as a remembrance of his promise that he will return. And we do this regularly until his return. So let's take the cup. Lord, thank you for the reminder, this regular reminder that you give to us as we celebrate your victory over death. We look forward to your return, God. Please make your church ready. In Jesus' name, amen.